from a guy wanting to be kidnapped by Batman and taken to a hotel, tied up in a hotel and rescued by Supergirl who needed to look like Catherine Jenkins was one of the crazy ones, which we did. It was 5 p.m., really busy, and it was Kensington Gardens, and Batman and his sidekick, so I was the getaway driver, just pegged it across that main road in Notting Hill with a man wrapped up in a sheet in rush hour. Hello and welcome to another episode of Secret Leaders from Infamous Media. I'm your host, Dan Murray-Serta, and this is the UK Startup Podcast, where you'll hear what it's really like to be a top entrepreneur, so you can get there too. Today, I'm really excited to be talking to Emma Sale, who has been leading the charge in women's sexual empowerment through her business, Killing Kittens. What began as a series of hedonistic sex parties led by women in London has grown into an international movement with a strong tech focus, including the most private of private messaging platforms. Emma and I discuss how to host a sex party, her chronic lack of self-confidence, and how these parties changed lives. But before all that, let's go back to the beginning. I grew up basically I was at all girls boarding school for 10 years. So I don't think that helps on the um, the body hang up eating disorder side of things. Where While my parents were living abroad and they were like mainly out in the Middle East a lot of the time, especially in my teenage years. And I had a very sort of narcissistic father, otherwise known as the Colonel. He was a very straight A, Rhodes Scholar, Cambridge. I think I was the eldest and it was very much sort of you didn't feel like it was good enough, so you got A's. Well, why aren't you getting A stars? It was sort of, you know, you needed to have to be captain of the teams. You had to be, it was just that kind of, and I think I put a lot on it myself just to be the best at everything. Um, and in that pressure of a very driven, or the, the boarding school I went to was very high achieving. And it just kind of came into the only thing I could control was food. Like a lot of people do that. So I was emotionally eating and then it was just a control thing. I could never starve myself and be anorexic because I like food too much. So the only other option was to go down the bulimic route. Um, so that's sort of um, how it was. And then came into London in my early 20s um, from university. Um, I'd been taught at school that sort of the world was my oyster. And as a girl, you could go out and do everything boys did. But I kind of had this real mishmash kind of story growing up of just sort of watching where my dad was and how he treated mum and then in the Middle East and how women were treated. So it was sort of I was going home to that but then being told something different at school. So I kind of had, yeah, that didn't help either. Um, and then, yeah, it just kind of came into the world of London and finance and had um, a very a few harassment issues with a boss and complained and got told I'd be a troublemaker. So And at the same time having a bit of an arse of a boyfriend. So it kind of just all... It didn't help. My my life choices weren't great at the time in my early 20s, which you look back on and say they weren't great. But I wouldn't change anything because it just sort of it adds to the kind of rich tapestry of, you know, the stepping stones that get you to where you are, which kind of at the time don't make sense. But when you look back, you go, well, I needed that to happen for this to happen to that to happen to this to happen. So that's, yeah, when it all kind of, and also out in the dating world in my early 20s. So it's sort of, again, with the body hang ups and everything going on I was kind of very much looking into how everyone else was sort of dating and sexually active whilst not really having the bravery especially as a girl because of the shame the guilt and the shaming and stuff of being that girl that could just go out and have loads of one night stands and not give a shit so it was sort of that was kind of where my headspace was. <laughs> yeah I, I actually read that you said um, that all your romantic interactions involved so much guilt and there was the voice inside your head that criticised your every move so why do you think you felt so guilty about sex? 
You know, I think it's, I'm 43 and I think it's a very generational thing. I think younger girls don't have the same, you know, when I speak to girls in their 20 and they just own it. There's obviously a lot of uh, culture and religion, religious sort of um, messaging. You know, there are girls in their 20s and teens that are, you know, it hasn't changed. It has it's changed a bit, but it's still bad. But, well, you know, we grow up even if you're in the most liberal house, and, you know, ours was pretty chilled, the messaging you get as a girl is sort of know your place, keep your clothes on to be respected, sort of your bits down there get given secret names when you're little to imply that, you know, they're dirty and kind of, you know, secret and seedy and sort of... And, you know, when you, again, when you hit sex ed at school, it's sort of sex is very male and it's a penis and a vagina and the end point is ejaculation. And that is what you think sex is. So it's all about pleasing the man. That's the messaging you get. And you've got to get, you know, as a girl, you've got to get married. And it's all about you. You know, even like, you know, little things like let boys be boys. It's sort of, it kind of lets them do whatever they want. Why can't girls be like boys? And I was, I was a real tomboy and I sort of, I had that push of like, well, if they can climb trees and do sport, then I'm going to climb trees and do sport. And, you know, no one in my school played the trombone and it was because it wasn't very feminine. So I went, sod it, I'm going to play the trombone for seven years, which I did. It's sort of, I was always that kind of, well, if they can do it, why can't we do it? I don't think you can really pinpoint why there's that guilt and shame. I think if subliminal messaging is so much there, all the time, every day of your life from growing up as a girl, it's just your reaction to things and that guilt and your the feelings you get, often you don't have a clue where it's come from. But So, you know, that's kind of why I really push. I've got two little girls now. We're kind of really pushing as well, kind of grassroots to try and get sex ed changed and get that messaging changed. And I stop myself saying things to the girls and I stopped my husband saying you know when he comes out with stuff because it's it's very easy just to keep that whole kind of boys being boys or man up or you know kind of thing it's like what is man up it's kind of it's, it's, there's so many little expressions in the way we speak and the language we use around children that just will repeatedly get in there so that by the time you get into being an adult you have no idea why you have that guilt and that shame and the, you know, the feelings you have towards certain things. Because you're never going to remember what's being said to you when you're little. No, I, indeed. But I guess the big question is sort of how do you get from that point to a point where you can just be naked and sexual in front of a bunch of strangers? Well, I never got to that point. <laughs> oh, you never got to that point. Well, yeah, so... I just I just built a business where everyone else could get to that point. Um, so okay so let's talk about I don't want to jump too far ahead with these uh, nosy questions how did you start killing kittens obviously your business killing kittens big cult reputation very well known now but obviously you know uh, even as a young man in my early 20s you know people would always be talking about it Um, I never had the bravery to actually go myself but people would talk about it all the time and the one thing I remember about it back then was it was all like women choose very women first it was always had this great cult of like deep curiosity from what I remember from when I was younger. But I'd love you to sort of help us understand where the problem came from, so to speak, the opportunity, how the first ones kicked off and where that all took you in the first couple of years. So over to you. So I've kind of I've spoken about sort of my yeah growing up and that kind of the messaging 
I got, and just, I say sort of, you know, the fire was burning from a very early age of this isn't right. And, you know, again, you get told all the time, well, it's just how it is. It's how it is. It's just what it is. And I'd be like, well, it doesn't have to be like that. It doesn't have to be, you know, boys can do whatever they want and sleep around and they're called legends and they're high-fived. And whereas girls would sleep around and... Um, you'd get guys, you know, intelligent men saying, oh, I've met a really nice girl, but she's not girlfriend material. And you'd be like, well, why isn't she girlfriend material? And they'd be like, well, because she slept with loads of guys. And that just used to really rile me. The double standards, the does it make, it's just sex. It's sort of the more I kind of looked at it. And also I had, you know, outsider's mindset, which I had it in every part of my life, really, because we moved every two years. All my friends abroad were like all foreign and different cultures, different religions, different nationalities. And I was coming to school in England. So I kind of that kind of sense of belonging was never really there. I never sort of felt like, you know, well, I really belong here. I really belong there. And so I've always kind of been that able to look in at a much bigger picture and not without the emotion and go, well, that's not right and that's not right. And I think back in my early 20s was, again, because I was sort of insecure and personally not sort of getting tits up left, right and centre with anything that moved with a penis, was I was able to look in and go, well, this isn't right and actually kind of imagine a world where I would, you know, if I had the confidence and the body security of kind of what would I want the world, my world to look like in that perfect kind of dating, sexually active world. And also the fire, you know, that anger. We say often people launch things with a real anger in their belly to fix something and change something. And it was there. It's still there, to be honest. Um, But it was there just constantly being stoked. And it was the time when it was like 2004, 2005, when Sex and the City came out and suddenly you had these groups of girls, you know, talking about using dildos and talking about the sex lives. And, you know, one of them, you know, Samantha, who was amazing, sleeping with everything that moved, men, women, whatever. I mean, she was everyone else like Jessica, Sarah Parker, whatever, you know, her character was and all the other ones. And Samantha was like my absolute hero because I just thought, wow, she just doesn't give a shit. She's like owning it. Yeah, she was a real icon. Yeah, exactly. She was like my... Number one, and at the kind of same time, like Anne Summers hit the high shoots and, uh, you know, things like Lalo, Sex Toys went into Selfridges. And I was kind of hanging around with a group as well in London who were very well known. And there was a big group of girls, women involved who, you know, they were a good decade older than me, but they were owning their sexuality as well. And they were just sort of well-known couples who just would sleep with each other and the girls would sleep with each other. And it kind of was in the news quite a lot and we were all at a wedding in Ibiza and again it was I wasn't brave enough to launch in and I just sort of watched with amazement of what everyone was doing and just going this is how the world should be this is sort of you know very feminine the females were owning it and leading the charge and what were you watching exactly sorry was that an orgy no I've seen I did see stuff go on at like private parties and stuff but kind of just this energy off these women and the way they handled themselves in relationships and they didn't part with shit and they very much were not waiting for some man to come along and you know marry them and pay for everything and etc it was sort of they were just sort of backing themselves they didn't need that knight in shining armor they just sort of were like well we're going to be the knight, our own knight kind of thing um so we were at a wedding in ibiza and at the time i was doing i'd moved into like freelance pr I'd been in financial and then moved into entertainment freelance and I was kind of one of my clients was the erotica show I was helping with and in that that got me into sort of the adult world and that again 
would see like the weird and wonderful and amazing human beings within that world. And a lot of them, again, didn't care what the people thought and the judgment. It was so open, very open-minded, just amazing humans. Um, but again, it was all run by men claiming to be female-friendly, whether that was lingerie or sex toys. It was all sort of, well, the directors of the companies are men and the toys are being and lingerie are being designed by men. So I thought, again wrong <laughs> on so many levels and it just felt once again here we are kind of with men telling us what we should have and telling us that they think they know what we should have and what we should want and so that rage <laughs> as I said that had been in there you know kept going and then yeah this wedding um in Ibiza someone phoned in and said who didn't make the wedding and just said is there, are you guys all just sat around killing kittens at the moment so we had this whole conversation about, you know, that cyber slang for every time you masturbate, God kills a kitten. Um, and I went, right, that's it. That's what I'm calling my business. I mean, I hadn't slept for about three days, so that's sort of partly why. I like the two, right from the onset, two Ks. Ks are a very powerful letter and numerically by the way it's all fixed. And I love all that kind of... So from day one, it's been KK. It just, I just went, right, that's it. I just want to f- create a world online and offline of like a community basically and a safe space for women very much to be in control they're the one leading the charge but with men involved as well it was never an us and them but it was like come on it's like actually we want a voice and actually to be able to take control and to have a voice in the bedroom and to be able to say well this is what we want and this is what we like without any judgment without anyone shaming or guilt and to meet like-minded individuals so you know whether that was just sort of online whether that was just meeting up befriending people whether that was getting properly you know tits up in the middle of regular orgies it was sort of do what you want so I kind of always said that actually the sex part was sort of the byproduct of what happened what came everything to me about KK from day one was to create this safe space and women owned and if people want to have sex they can have sex but obviously you know the Daily Mail and everything lover they love an orgy headline If you're trying to grow your startup and you're dealing with companies outside of the UK, you're probably going to need ISO 27001 at some point. It's not the sexiest acronym, but it's basically the global standard for proving your security practices are up to scratch, like how you handle customer data. The same goes with SOC 2. You're going to need it if you're a SaaS company. But achieving these security frameworks can be very tedious and very costly. This is where our partner Vanta comes in. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for certifications like ISO 27001, SOC 2, GDPR, HIPAA, and more, getting you audit ready in weeks instead of months and saving you up to 85% of the cost. And as a special offer, our listeners get 20% off Vanta. Just head to vanta.com slash secretleaders. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash secretleaders for 20% off. There's a link in the description. Look, you know I'm fascinated by AI, but until the machines take over, there's only one thing that's going to determine your company's fortunes. People. This isn't some kind of hollow point to make me look good. If you speak privately to any successful entrepreneur, they'll confirm it's true. So, if you're a leader of a growing business, then you should check out Personio. It brings together all the important HR things like hiring, onboarding, payroll data, performance reviews, and so on. You don't want loads of employees sending you emails asking for time off. You want to be able to see things objectively, like it's taking you too long to hire. 
You want to do performance reviews well, having clear goals for people that are logged in a centralized system. And you want to do all these things in one simple tool without having to become an HR expert. All of this is possible with Personio. Check it out at personio.com forward slash secret leaders. That's personio.com forward slash secret leaders. There's a link in the show notes. For anyone that doesn't know what Killing Kittens is, though, can you describe um, how you pitched it at the time to other people? Like, what were you really setting up? What was the actual idea? What was some of the execution? Talk us through what it actually was and up to what it is now, how it's changed. To start with, it was a, a monthly event. But from day one, there was a sign up and be part of an online mailing list on you know an online like just having an online profile because I mean this was back in 2005 so it was sort of it wasn't really kind of that digital world um, and social media wasn't really out there so it's kind of a very basic community site where you could join forums so we had one one event and then you know the main thing is what it was known for was having was this one party every month it was like masked Single men could attend on their own. So it was it was couples and girls and girl, but all guys had to be, you know, accompanied by one girl. You had to submit photos and reasons why you wanted to come to an event. And then you'd be told sort of 24 hours beforehand where the, where the venue was. And then it was sort of, I should say, kind of like private house parties where the wheels come off and, you know, you've got wander upstairs to like the playrooms and you might find 30 people naked in one room, 20 in another, DJ downstairs, yeah, so that's how it sort of started and then gradually started doing more different like different concepts like cabaret nights and a more kind of wet and wild type one and just adding more monthly and then going to different countries and different cities. And meanwhile, the whole online side was growing and expanding and expanding. And um, and actually on paper, in the lo- you know, in the last five years, on paper, we're a tech business. So now we really are a tech business. And I think the last year and a half of this shit show we've been in um, has kind of showed a lot of people it's proved a lot of people wrong of week one of kind of covid i said i think this is going to make us because i think it's gonna it's gonna make a whole load of people realize that we're not just a little sex party business so um yeah so now it's sort of the online side is is flying and it's sort of imagine kind of facebook meets bumble dating site meets eventbrite and the education side of it and then we launched our own same as whatsapp kind of chat app last September where you can you know join official chat rooms or you can create your own chat you can do video calls you know it's triple encrypted it's sort of as good as WhatsApp and it's a lot more secure and um the whole tech side which is ironic because I'm a real offline person I hate tech and digital anything to do with it hate it what was the first party like what was the energy like you know how was it for you emotionally was it awkward were you comfortable were they strangers did you know some of them talk us through that so the first party probably had about 50 people, so nothing major. Um, I knew some of them. Um, what I'd done was set up this data collection kind of email collection on the website, very basic website, and it just said, like, you know, submit your email, name and email if you're interested in coming to the parties because I'd kind of done a bit of a a bit of a bullshitting um, thing for a few months because because a few journalists knew that I was friends with this set that I'd been in Ibiza and I'd had a few phone calls after I got back to Ibiza just saying, oh, is it true that they all do this, this and this? So I thought I'd just play games for a bit and say, yeah, they there is underground park killing kittens parties that have been going on, you know, for years all over Europe in different villas and boats and 
And they were like, well, what, can we come to one and cover it for, like, you know, Marie Claire or Cosmo or whatever? And I'm like, no, you can't. No one can come in, but I can tell you what goes on at these parties. So, I'm, I mean, we had two, three, four pages of reviews of events having never done an event. That then um, got a load of people signed up to the site. So I think when we launched the first party, we had over a 1,000 people signed up wanting information on when the next party was. So actually, when we came to do the parties, we launched with a with a nice little database. And then it just sort of grew from there, like word of mouth and, yeah, lots of media. Are you able to talk about the parties themselves? Like for listeners, a lot of us know what it's like to join an email waiting list and be in a broader community. But I'm going to go on a limb and say not many of us know what happens inside a sex party. So very curious. So you get an email 24 hours before and saying where the venue is. We, the dress code, most of our events are kind of cocktail dress um, and masks, they're all masks. When you arrive, we tend to do a cocktail or like fizz reception and a lot of the time we'll have an, this oyster, a couple of oyster shuckers, so going around with oysters. Um, back in the days, the first parties, which now just seem bizarre because we had like platters of sushi, which now I look back and go, why would you possibly have sushi platters at a sex party i mean bleh. but they went down well pun intended yeah <laughs> um often have like djs and all different sort of burlesque kind of cabaret type performers kind of mingling around it's like you're going to a private party but the tension's there that sexual tension's there because you know why most people are there and they're just sort of waiting for it to kind of kick off and it kind of because the main rule at the events and it still is now and also across our like the digital world of KK the you know the rule is that the women make the first move you can't men couldn't go up and start hitting on girls and chatting them up they have to very much wait for the girls to make the first move so it's sort of everyone sort of starts talking to each other and mingling and then it kind of, then what you see well you'll see maybe a few couples just kind of disappear off into a room or you know a group of girls go off and then it just suddenly, we call it, it just turns. After a couple of hours, it turns. So one minute, it's sort of, you've got a really packed bar. And then the next minute, you turn around and there's sort of only 10 people in the bar area. And, you know, everyone's just sort of now gone off into different rooms, um, getting naked, having sex, doing whatever. It's like Dante's Inferno, like limbs everywhere. And then that's the thing. Then they might come out of those rooms. They might, some of the venues, you know, we have the wet and wild one with jacuzzis and steam rooms and things. So... Yeah, or they'll just be in the dance area a bit. Often, you know, we do a big cabaret night now, which also you can sit, have a proper dinner and watch all the shows and then the DJs kick in and then you can kind of... that's They're in more nightclubs now, so it's kind of... To us now, it's kind of a much more sort of immersive experience. And actually, also from day one, not it's not a case of everyone has to get naked, everyone has to have sex, and a lot of people keep their clothes on. A lot of people like the, the party atmosphere. People come for different reasons. You'll get couples, you know, really nervous, sort of just coming, and they've just sort of agreed just to stay together and experience it, keep their clothes on. And, and that's why we say it's like, you know, you can, you can leave at any point. I guess one of the uh, obvious questions I have here is sort of how do you sort of distinguish between that weird like voyeurism versus exhibitionism, right? Not, I guess not everyone is an exhibitionist and uh, not everyone will feel comfortable with people sort of just observing nudity, if that makes sense. Or is that completely incorrect? No, but that's, do you know what, you have, you have an entire spectrum of different reasons why people come and you've got the, you know, you've got the real exhibitionists on 
one end you've got the one you know the more voyeurism one who just they're doing the couples are just doing something together secreting and they get that's enough of a turn on they don't need to get naked they don't need to do anything else you've got some couples you know who are there for like the classic threesome that's what they've always fantasized about you've got a lot of you know what's turned in the last 16 years are doing it is sort of sexuality now is, is an entire spectrum it's not just you know straight gay or bi you know back then it was sort of there was three camps now it's sort of there's you know three thousand shades of sexuality that go on and no one is on the same part of the spectrum all the time people just move and that's kind of opened up so we get you know we get a lot of couples who maybe got married 20 years ago and then but actually the woman is very bisexual and that's been suppressed and now she's sort of it's her turn and and we're seeing more more guys as well sort of in very straight relationships actually want to sort of explore sexually so there's kind of that and then you get a load of you know single girls and they, they, they kind of fall into two big you know two camps where you get the most amount you get the young ones who are single in their 20s who are just out there exploring don't care just want to try just want to live um, and experience everything. Um, and then you were seeing a lot of sort of late 30, 40, you know, the divorcee ones who have gone, right, sod it, kind of we want our identity back and and it's our time now and they have, they've had kids and they've sort of given up a lot to in a marriage where, you know, it's all about the husband and the kids and actually it's like, well, actually we want to be selfish and, and just get back out there and have some fun. So there's sort of, there's a whole mix of, of people and reasons why they come and what they want and what they do when they get there. And you had to be attractive enough to get in in the first place, right? So what was the, you know, what was the deciding committees? How's that um, like changed over time? Do you know what? It was kind of when, you know, right at the beginning when, um, as I said, I was like 25 and right, I was only me doing it and you've only got one small event every month. You kind of, there was that niche and that little kind of very micro community and I had people coming in from the group I was sort of hanging out with and stuff. So the vetting was more, was a bit more shallow, <laughs> was a bit more because it was sort of getting to 50 people. And then it sort of grew and actually it grew and expanded and I got more secure and I got more, you know, open and just more confident in myself as well. And it just sort of was like, well, actually, everyone needs to be part of this. And I want to, every female out there needs to have this opportunity and, and it's just sort of, you know, love yourself, whatever, and actually all shapes and, and its sizes. And it became it became much more of the mindset of, of why people wanted to come as to how you get in. So now even, you know, now you submit photos just to prove you're a real person and they've got to be normal photos. But the main bit is kind of the buying of why, what KK means to you and why it is you want to join our community. So that's sort of, that's looked up at way more than like sort of 16 years ago, where actually it was just sort of a photo and right, you're in. And so how big has the business got then? Take us through like, I guess, the macro side, like how big were you when you, when you first started in your first year? Like how many years later is it now? How does the team look and where are you based and all, all those bits? You know, it was just me. I was the only full time employee for seven years. We were doing one party a month for the first sort of five years. But the party started with kind of 40, 50 people and then within a year that was pushing 100 150 people and then we had to move then move venue to this big mansion house in london and sat very quickly we were then hitting sort of 300 people a month and actually we pushed up to nearly 500 and it was it was too big and that after sort of five years then it was kind of actually i, I wanna i never want to really go over 300 people you just keep the control um but just have different concepts so then 
it was launching two concepts and then after about seven years then actually then it got quicker much much quicker because like I took three people on in the space of a year so I went from one person to four person in year eight and then back in 2016 so after sort of 10 years that was when very I kind of looked at there were five of us involved all very offline people kind of blagging the online side, um, which is sort of running itself. I'd added kind of, right, let's add a 20 quid joining fee just to see if that affects numbers. And instantly in a month, it's sort of that got us a really nice sort of lump money of people joining up. That didn't put people off joining. So I was kind of guessing a lot of the tech side of things. Um, And I looked at the revenue and we'd basically from, you know, to 2011, I think our turnover was about 75 grand. And we kind of up until 2017, literally doubled revenue for sort of five years. And on paper, I noticed that actually 50% of our revenue was coming from the digital world. But no one was running the digital world or looking at it. It was just me guessing bits. Let's add this. Let's add that. It was as suddenly then Me Too happened. And Trump came in and there was just this fire under women's, you know, that had been lit again under women. And I just thought if if this is our moment, we've been going 10 years and we've got this platform, we've got this community and we were on about 80,000, 90, 90,000 members at that point. Um, I think we're on just over 200 now, um, 200,000. Um, I was like, if, you know, I need someone to come on board, I need to raise money because we need to really go big, go big or go home on the whole platform side of it. And I need to get partners on board who know the tech side and know the digital world can be the yin to my yang. And just to make it fly before some Silicon Valley upstart with, you know, millions in the bank comes in claiming to own the female digital sex space. Then I met our CEO and kind of a business partner in, in the KK group back in 2017. So then, um, yeah, and that was it was sort of as he came on board, we were just about to do our first like million million pound like turnover year. And yeah, he came on board and everything for the past four years has just been tech, 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 done, you know, two raises. We're in the middle of a series A raise. Now we went from sort of, I think, five million in 2018. We did a, you know, raise half a million at a valuation of five million. The next year, 2019, we raised another half a million at 10 million pound raise. We had to, last year, we did the future fund just raise and it was one of the COVID ones in the middle of summer because we didn't tick any of the other boxes for any types of loan. So we did that at, I think it was about 11 and a half, 12 million. And now we're doing the Series A raise at a valuation of 20 million, which we're in the middle of the moment with, yeah, 200,000 members and the big pushes out in the States because we've been doing New York for five years now, an event there once a month and slowly growing that community up. But we haven't spent a penny out there. So we just know that actually if we, you know, throw millions that way in the digital growth, marketing side of it and do it really big then actually America's the one where there's a lot a lot of money on the, in the online dating online social network space over there so what are you pitching like what is the vision like what are you actually trying to achieve with the brand then so how does killing kittens use its new funding and valuation to take this space by storm what's the vision the vision is always um it's to basically build a brand that stood for um, stood for something and as the digital world is involved is to create this world and that's the thing it was create this world online and offline and the online side with the digital world exploding has exploded and for us it's what we've built is the world's first like adult safe for work social network so it's sort of you know you have your LinkedIn you have your Facebook you have your Instagram 
but they're all kind of you know pg levels and you're not gonna but then where where do you go for your adults you know the adult safer work side of your life and to be able to share stuff and ask questions and and learn and the sex education side of things you know we've been doing workshops and webinars you know two or three a week we've been doing them we'd started them before covid we'd started doing them online and they're getting busier and busier and when you look at the likes of Bumble and Tinder and their valuations and what they're, you know, being sold for or, you know, IPO'd um, for, and it's like that's a tiny part of what we've built. The dating side of things is is a tiny part of this entire online world we've built. And there's, you know, there's lots of people out there, you know, little setups doing sort of the sex education side of things as well, but they're not getting exposure because that's the other thing. You know, we looked out and thought, well, we're having loads of doors shut on us because we can't. We can't advertise on Facebook or Instagram because anything remotely adult gets put in the sex category. So that's from toy, you know, sex toys to lingerie to us to like dating, a lot of dating setups and things if they're a bit adult. You can't, you know, do any digital marketing that most brands can do. And it's the same for influencers and actually educators. They can't push out across Facebook or Instagram. Loads of them are getting their pages shut down the whole time. They've massively cracked down in the last year. So it was sort of, well... If, you know, if we're getting that, then all these thousands of people and brands and people out there are doing it. So sort of we'll build that platform too. So we've built a brand platform, a bit like Facebook pages, where they can have their own pages and set up and they can push out and boost it out to our community. So into the social network that we've built um, without getting blocked. So we've got over 3,000 people signed up for that. And we're at the beginning of next year, 2022, um, we'll be pushing all that out. So actually we've got sort of four million pounds worth of like tech that we spent four, four years building and the chat app that already is now sending over a million messages a month. Is that Safe Date? Sorry. Safe Date's another app that we bought out a couple of years ago that's kind of it's very basic. So you put in, you know, if you're going on a date, you put, you put in where you're going, who you're going with. So if they've got, you know, a Tinder profile or something, you can put in or their Instagram profile, Facebook profile, you can link all that in. You put in who your safe people are so that your safe people don't even need to know that they're your safe people. You put in their email addresses or phone numbers and you say you, they want if you a time to check into the app. And if you haven't checked in to the app at that time, you said you're going to check in, then your safe people will get a text message or the email saying so-and-so had you as a safe person, this is their last location, these are all the details of who they're out on a date with. So it was kind of, again, it was that looking at that dating issue of actually, and we had it, it was in our community and in the forums of like, a lot of girls checking into the, in with other members in these forums that they were going on a Tinder date and stuff and they didn't, because they didn't feel they could tell their close friends or family that they were going for a hookup. Because again, they were that shame and like embarrassment. So you can do it without your safe people. Your safe people will never know that you're doing it unless you don't check back in. So it was sort of we were going to build it into our technology, and then we decided that actually it's a kind of it's a kind of app that actually teenagers can have. So we kind of did it as a standalone app because had we done it obviously as KK, then you're not going to get parents wanting their teenagers to download it um, to use. So we just thought it was. Um, it was an app that actually needed its own sort of identity so that you didn't have that sexual attachment that you do with KK on it. So, yeah, no, the chat app that we launched um, in September in, you know, iOS and Android is exactly like WhatsApp. It's a basically a, a triple encrypted like WhatsApp where you can't screenshot. It's you can join 
you know, the official KK chat groups where we have all the, you know, our community kittens who moderate those those chat groups. You can create your own chat groups, message individually, do video calls, um, but you do have to be a KK member. So it's a bit like having Facebook Messenger app, but you need to be a member of Facebook to be able to use it. The most obvious question that comes to me from running all these events, and this is as someone who runs a lot of events myself, and they've got no sexual nature. And so I have to ask, you know, has there been any problems with violence, you know, sexual or otherwise, and attitude and behavior, you know, guidelines, obviously people get inebriated and uh, misunderstand things. And that is like when sex isn't even on the table, right? So I'm just curious as to sort of how you've had to manage people's um, egos and I guess understanding of what is and isn't okay at these events. I think, do you know what, the main, I mean, 16 years in touch wood, we haven't, you, we get the odd person getting a bit too drunk. But at the end of the day, I think we don't have the testosterone factors. So what we don't have is we don't have groups of guys out on the pool that changes the dynamic. You know, part of it also in my early 20s was was going out clubbing and we called it running the gauntlet where you just went across the dance floor just because you needed to pee, but you had to get across the dance floor without, you know, trying to dodge all these hands up your skirts and being groped as you did it. And we don't have that because we don't allow single men into any of the events. So it does change the dynamic. It does add that safety element to it it's really hard to describe it I've always said it's sort of they're the most unseedy events I've ever been to which is really hard to describe when obviously there's sex going on but I've got loads of friends who kind of come for the first time they still come for the first time now they go we'll just come and see what it's like and it's sort of they're like this isn't what we thought it was going to be it's actually really chilled and nice atmosphere and yeah the sex is there but it's sort of it kind of when it's going on and it's loud and it's normal it's not so kind of wow shock and awe and people aren't coming there to get shit-faced. That's the thing. You know, at other parties and other events, and you go out to a nightclub or you go out to the bar, you're going to drink, most people. So you do get on it. Whereas, you know, that's not really going to help if you're going to a sex party and you want to get it up. And it's not going to help you, you know, being inebriated. We've had the occasional man who does drink a bit too much and might get a bit overexcited and try and be a bit handsy but actually it's very self-policing and the members are very quick to go hey you can't do that we don't allow phones in that's always been banned and that's made a real difference it's just sort of yeah lots of privacy yeah so what's the funniest thing you've ever seen at a party any any hilarious moments I mean, there's been really funny stories that, like, sometimes, you know, the police have come down to check because some occasion you get people playing silly buggers who phone the police and claim there's underage sex or drugs or something going on to try and get us shut down. So they turn up and, you know, one one time two policemen turned up and there were two strippers there who were just literally wandering around naked with heels on. And um, they come up the stairs as the policemen came down and they pinned the policemen to the door thinking that they were also strippers in fancy dress. So... I had to extract <laughs> two very nervous-looking policemen from... I think they're probably living that story down. But no, I mean, there's been... There's just been so amazing moments where, you know, I've walked in and one time, and it was London Fashion Week, and there were five models, and they female models, and they all had strap-ons on, or some of them had strap-ons on, and they were shagging each other, and it was just sort of... It was just one of those things that you just... I call it a Kodak moment. <laughs> you know, I don't need to watch any porn because there's just so many moments... Of little clips I've, I see 
that's just lodged <laughs> in my mind. I mean, it's funny. Sex is funny. And I think that's part of it. People don't take themselves seriously when they're naked or having sex. So you don't get that ego and, you know, people being wankers. And because once they're naked, they're naked. It doesn't matter if you're the CEO of some or some billionaire or an A-list actor. No one gives a shit when you're naked. I also understand that you take requests from customers as well, right? But obviously nothing shocks you anymore. But when, when was the last time someone at least surprised you with a request? Do you know what? It kind of, we kind of stopped doing it right at the beginning. We kind of, it would organise some people's fantasies as well. And then it just sort of, that got into kind of the legal realms of what I could and couldn't do. And um, But I mean, from a guy wanting to be kidnapped by Batman and taken to a hotel, tied up in a hotel and rescued by Supergirl who needed to look like Catherine Jenkins was one of the crazy, crazy ones, which we did. And I can still visualise sort of it was 5pm, really busy, and it was Kensington Gardens and and Batman and his sidekick, so I was the getaway driver, just pegged it across that main road in Notting Hill with a man wrapped up in a sheet in rush hour. And no one battered an eyelid. No, a few people kind of looked back and they threw him in a van and we and we drove off. But it was one of those kind of weird, you know, when you kind of see them on TV, the kind of prank videos and things. We definitely, I haven't organised any of them for about 10 years, to be honest. <laughs> Coming towards the end, I want to know what your experience running Killing Kittens has actually been like for your view on sex and uh, and relationships, right? You're a mum with three kids now. Talk to us about that, how, you know, you started off as this sort of unempowered, slightly confused uh, 20-something, and now you're a mum running a business that's all about female empowerment, really. But how have, uh, how's your attitude sort of shifted? It's massively shifted, and actually, I think the whole thing, it's re- it has massively empowered me, and I think a lot of my members have been, you know, responsible for that and hearing their stories and hearing you know, how their lives have changed. And, you know, we've had loads of women come out of abusive relationships or arranged marriages and they join. And when you hear the stories, that then, that empowers you. So, I, you know, it's kind of, I've got so many members to thank for actually giving me the confidence to back myself. I mean, the irony is, it's like when I was single and back then, um, the thought of getting naked in front of, you know, loads of people and just piling in, just filled me with so much terror. But now I'm 43 and a mum of mom of three kids and I literally couldn't give a shit about being naked in um in bright yeah, daylight. And actually I've got the confidence and body confidence to just go, fuck it. So it's kind of one of those things that actually, you know, we haven't it hasn't happened for me and my hubby. Um and I would never shit on my own doorstep in my own business world. But we've always said that, you know, if and when it kind of we've, you know, always said never say never. You just don't know. And it it's massively taught me so much about the emotional psychological state when it comes to sex and actually sex is just sex and some of the most secure couples I've met in my life and become good friends with are KK couples and they are so in love and so secure in their relationship but they can sleep with other people in that kind of environment but they communicate and they're doing it together so there's no cheating and they're able to go that's it's just sex it's like one night they have a vibrator the next night they might have a real penis you know in the mix in their relationship that's how they see it and to me now what's you know very very you know I'm sure of is actually confidence that's that's it really yeah if you're not confident if you're insecure then it's going to affect every aspect of your life and that's you know we say from the bedroom to the boardroom so if you're owning it in the bedroom 
and able to ask for what you want and communicate, then you can, especially for a woman, you can then go into the workplace and sort of back yourself and own it. So it's that, again, it's that outsider's mindset of actually standing back and looking at the bigger picture and getting out of all the nitty gritty and saying, what is it actually that is stopping girls from being owning it in the bedroom and owning it in the workplace and it's confidence. Love it. That was so great. Thank you so much, Emma, for your time. No worries. Thanks for having me. Next week on Secret Leaders. There's so much opportunity in this space. You know, we're basically replacing the whole internet. You know, we're replacing financial services broadly. Every vertical that you can imagine is sort of being replaced by a DeFi alternative right now from exchanges to lending facilities, insurance, art galleries, you know, websites. I think there's as much opportunity as there was, maybe even more opportunity than the World Wide Web. That was Jesse Powell, the co-founder and CEO of Kraken, Europe's largest cryptocurrency exchange. And he started his career in art. Find out how he took a 90 degree turn on his career and how you can too. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Murray-Serta, and I was the host of this episode. Editing was done by Lower Street Media with Will Stolomon, our head of podcast, Bring It All Together.